Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, October 31st, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my experiences in relationship and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. And once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I will then turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. 
and or you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org, or you can email Jeannie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if we get a comment or a question from you through that email system, we will address it on the Internet show and then send you a notice as time allows about what day and time it was addressed so you can listen back to the archive for your input or feedback. And again, whether you're calling or emailing with a comment or a question, we greatly appreciate that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work the intention we have with this work is to be a service. And that's just a whole heck of a lot easier to do when we know how these things are landing for you and with you. So we have, uh, it's a Tuesday, so there will be a support group tonight. And uh, you can join us for free or pass that information along to anybody you think might benefit from joining us for free. All the information is available at MindShiftersAcademy.org website. And please remember there's a separate info page for Tuesday's group and a separate page for Thursday's group. And even though the website might have some reference to, you know, paying per session, all the information needed is there. It's absolutely free. Just open up a Zoom link and uh, type in that. whatever, ID number, and you'll have access to the support group. So we have plenty of time for comments, questions, answers. Uh, what's on your mind? What, how's, it, how's it sitting that we started reading the Way of Mastery again yesterday and Are you able to see as many overlaps as I see and try to mention between that work and Course in Miracles and Diedrich Wolzak's work and Guy Finley's work, Michael Singer's work, which is was really striking for me as I began reading it yesterday uh, after having recently um, listened several times to the Michael Singer podcast. Uh, season 3, Episode 5, I think it is. And, um, and I don't know whether it's a blessing or a curse, but one of the things that's developed in me quite consistently over the past 30 or so years is this uh, tendency or propensity to look for the similarities in teachings or in therapy styles and to observe over and over again that whatever it is that works is just like everything else that works, that there's just this life and this system this flow of energy that we call physical and the flow of energy that we call mental and emotional and they they just they just do what they do and some aspects of them are 
observable and predictable. And so whatever works to help somebody move through a negative pattern they've developed in response to uh, trauma energy or a negative belief is just like whatever else works, even if they might use significantly different language or framework or metaphors. Um, Whatever it is that works is just like everything else that works. And I just had somebody in my office we were talking about the the difference between uh, competition, which our culture is so heavily biased toward, and collaboration and cooperation is a really important difference and distinction. And the bias in our culture about competition is completely... Um, let's say, overvalued and misleading. There was a book by um, Bernie, and I'll get his last name here in a minute. He wrote a book called Redemption, and I don't recommend the book to people because his um, his strength is not writing. Bernie Dorman, D-O-H-R-M-A-N-N. And um, it, it, there's a lot of pages in that book. It's over 300, it may be 400. And uh, so I don't recommend it to people, but it is... Uh, powerful in what it talks about and how it talks about what happened when people decided to cherry pick ideas from different books like um, Darwin's Origin of the Species and to talk almost exclusively about how Darwin recognized survival of the fittest and competition for survival and and Bernie talks about how when you read that whole book, if you don't cherry pick, there are a very large number of references to the word love. There's a lot of time spent on recognizing that within nature, a far more pervasive and powerful force than competition is cooperation and collaboration, whether you see it in ant colonies or schools of fish or flocks of birds, um, you know, herds of hooved animals. It goes on and on and on that some of the most, well, all of the most significant uh, creations of humanity are the result of cooperation, not competition. There was never a skyscraper that was built by one person. There was never, um, you know, a rocket ship that was built just by one person. 
there's never been a city that was just done by one person. So there's this tremendous injustice, imbalance that we participate in when we take what somebody else tells us is the main theme of this book or that book and we don't question it for ourselves. And so um, in that book, Redemption, he talks extensively about that and the need for waking up to the power of collaboration and cooperation and using it effectively in our lives every chance we get. It is... Um, I would say, you know, at one level, you might easily say it's humanity's only hope because it's the most powerful force in creation. Why not use it? Why, why would we let ourselves get sucked into this false belief that everything's about survival of the fittest and that that's, you know, the best way to thrive is to be better than everybody else when in truth um, the best way to survive is to learn to cooperate with everybody else or cooperate with those forces that are willing to cooperate with you and it reminds me of the definition for humility from the ancient Aramaic which is the ability to look for and see the highest and best in another person and then choose to cooperate only with that. It doesn't say choose to emulate it and even do better than that person in some kind of a competition stance. It says cooperate with, work in unison with the highest and best in another person from the recognition that, you know, essentially we are all the same. We are all sparks of the one divine mind and we can maximize our potential for good for ourselves and others through cooperation far more than we can through competition. So just some of the thoughts floating around in my head. Um, I, I don't remember if I mentioned it yesterday, but I did get the audio file edited from last Thursday's group and uh, uploaded to the best of audio files page on the mindshiftersacademy.org website and that is a uh, a section of audio that's a little over an hour because we were listening to Michael Singer's podcast and I had been asked to listen to it let us listen to it in the group and then stop frequently and make commentary. So that's what I did. And then I edited out just that segment. So it's a little over an hour. And um, I also was able to get those sample letters uploaded. And they are on the educational materials page um, near the bottom of the page. And those are sample letters for the Saying Goodbye to Good People Without Saying Goodbye to Good Memories uh, workshop that I have on 
on a different page there. So 563-999-3581. Give us a call. Press 1 on your phone. Let us know how we can be of service and or we'll take another dive back into the way of mastery if nobody has a question or a comment. Um, we'll see if we can't present some more of the way of mastery with commentary. Um, this this time around, I intend to uh, edit some of these files and make them available in a in a, a more accessible format. So I will probably do them lesson by lesson. So there'll be a separate web page for each lesson of me reading it with commentary. And then what will happen is that will be far easier, far quicker to upload. Right now, if you go back to last year's audio files and try to listen, there are so many of them are on one page that it takes quite a while for it to load up. And my own personal experience has been that there have been significant numbers of errors in loading and then I have to reload. So... So I will endeavor to do that in a more efficient way this year when I get around to editing these files and uploading them to the MindShiftersAcademy.org website, and they'll be edited out just for the first hour of the show in which we're doing the reading of the MindShifters, the uh, Way of Mastery with Commentary. So nobody has a hand up. I guess there's a, a silent request for continuing. We left off yesterday with simply with the idea in the way of mastery about the first step in awakening. And what it says is the first step in awakening is not some big jump or leap. It's not some make a lifelong commitment. It's just let this idea, allow this into your mind and just start to observe and play with and practice and observe with childlike innocence whatever might arise when you let in this axiom of truth. Quote, nothing that you experience is caused by anything outside of you. You experience only the effects of your own choice, close quotes. The text then goes on to say, during the first part of this course, we will be building lesson by lesson on what I'm choosing to call the way of the heart. It is the way that is unknown to the world. It is a way unknown to many that would call themselves spiritual teachers. For it is not a way of resting on or becoming dependent upon magical means. This is rather that pathway which cultivates within you the decision, the decision to turn your attention upon your own mind and upon your own behavior and upon what is true and real for you moment to moment. To study it, 
to consider it, to feel it, to breathe the light of spirit through it, and to instantly, to constantly retrain the mind so that it assumes complete responsibility in each moment. So this is the pathway. I'm going to read that paragraph again because it says, this is a pathway which cultivates within you the decision to turn your attention upon your own mind, upon your own behavior, and upon what is true and real for you moment to moment. This is a pathway for you to study that, to consider it, to feel it, and to breathe the light of spirit, capital S, spirit, through all of that, and to be constantly retraining the mind so that it assumes complete responsibility in each moment. Now, I would encourage us all to just take a breath and imagine what the heck would that be like? In each new present moment, I've retrained my mind to take 100% responsibility for everything it sees, thinks, hears, feels, does internally. What is my mind saying and doing? The text goes on and reads, why is this necessary? The answer is because without it, there can be no peace. Without that, you cannot transcend the false identifications that you've chosen. You need to come to the point where you say to yourself, quote, I have done this to myself. I did it. I must correct it. No one is to blame. The world is innocent. Close quotes. In the lessons that follow, we will be communicating with you more and more deeply the finer points of the way of the heart. For it is that way that was taught to me. It is that way that brings about the reversal of every thought you've ever had about anyone or anything. It is that way alone which allows you to pass back through the eye of the needle and to come to rest in the perfect peace from which you have sprung forth. Now, this echoes in my mind exactly what Michael Singer is talking about in that podcast, the perfect peace that allows you to have peace from the top of your head, the tip of your toes, regardless of what's going on in the physical body or in the world around you. It is your true nature. It is available to you in each new moment. And one of the best questions that comes from that Michael Singer podcast is, why am I not in touch with that bliss right now? What am I doing internally with my thoughts, my judgments, my interpretations, my reactions, that's keeping me from sitting here connected to this deep peace. This teaching in Way of Mastery says that lets you come to rest 
in the perfect peace from which you've sprung forth. You come from that. You come from love. You're made of love. You are love. Everything else is false. The text then goes on and says, The way of the heart is not the way of the intellect. For indeed, the intellect, that aspect of your mind, was never designed to be your master. It was designed to be the humble, and if you will pardon the expression, very stupid servant of the awakened heart. What is the awakened heart? The heart is that which feels all things, embraces all things, trusts all things, and allows all things. The heart is that in which the soul rests eternally. The heart is that which is beyond space and time and is that spark of light in the capital M mind of the Creator, which is called Christ with a capital C. Only in that will you find the peace that you seek, only resting back into your origins, your true nature. Only by learning to access something that you cannot think your way into or through. You must be able to feel this. You must be able to ask to be shown from something outside that conscious logical mind. The text goes on and reads, You will discover that the pathway of awakening is not a pathway of avoidance, but a pathway of truthfulness. It is not a pathway of accomplishment and pride, but it is a pathway of releasing from the consciousness every hope and every wish to be special. It's a path of asking to see yourself as having made progress. This, this unproductive path of wanting to be special is the path of wanting to see yourself as having made progress so that you can pound the fist upon your chest and spread the tail feathers. This path, rather, is a transcendence of the hope of somehow getting God's attention so that he will look upon you and say, oh, you've been such a good person. Yes, we'll allow you into the kingdom now. This has nothing to do with the path of the heart. The awakened heart is a way in which you will come to cultivate, regardless of your inner experience or degree of awakening, you will come to cultivate the willingness and the art of returning to the simplicity of empty-headedness and not knowingness and do that with each and every breath. This is a way of life in which all things and all events become an aspect of your meditation and your prayer until there is established once again within you the truth that is true always. And here's a restatement of that truth. Quote, Not my will, but thine be done. For of myself, I do nothing. 
but the Father does all things through me, close quotes. So then it asks us to imagine then a state of being in which you walk through this world seemingly appearing like everyone else, and yet you are spacious within. You are empty within. In truth, you desire nothing, and though you, at the same time you allow desire to move through you. And you recognize that energy of desire as the voice of the creator guiding your personality, your emotions, and even the body to places, events, people, and experiences through which the tapestry of the atonement, the at-one-ment, is being woven. And through which all of the children of the creator are called home again. In this process, you trust the complete flow of that, whether you're asked to give a speech in front of 10,000 people or you're asked to tell a friend the truth of your feelings or whether or not you are asked to sweep the streets and live penniless. For in truth, that mind that trusts the capital S source of its creation, that mind allows all things trusts all things, embraces all things, and transcends all things. Rest assured, whenever you feel frustration and anxiety, it is because, it is because you have decided not to trust the truth, capital T, truth of life. And that truth is simply this. Quote, Only God's plan for salvation can work for you. Close quotes. Your way simply must fail. For your, your way of trying to get to salvation begins with the illusory and insane assumption that you are a separate being from the mind of God and the Creator, and that you must, therefore, direct your own course. That's a false assumption. And so anything you do from that false assumption must fail. The text goes on and says, for if you are sick and diseased and not at peace, then why would you decide that you know how to create peace? It requires great humility to accept the first step of the path. And here it is, separated out, special text, quote, I have done all of this. I must undo it. But I have no idea how I did this. Therefore, I must surrender to something else. Close quotes. How do you surrender to something else? How do you live, especially in the world that we're living in from the Western culture and the mind, where we've been trained, conditioned, programmed to to glorify our conscious logical mind and our rational mind. How do you put that aside? 
how do you recognize it as simply a, a faithful servant, a useful tool to be picked up in certain situations, and develop a relationship with another level of being, of knowing, of, of insight, of intuition, of inspiration, of guidance? How do you do that? With practice. What's the practice? I continually come back to what we were talking about earlier in this very reading today. That you turn inside and you focus on your own mind, your own behavior, and what is true and real for you in the moment. You study it, you consider it, you feel it, and you breathe the light of spirit through it. What do we? Most of us don't even know what those words mean. How do I breathe the light of spirit to, through it? I just I play with the idea that there's something more going on here than the chattering of my conscious logical mind. Something is keeping my heart beating and my breath moving even when I'm asleep or distracted. Something is digesting my food. Something is bringing me life experiences which can reveal to me whatever I'm holding on to that's blocking me from seeing my true nature. But I must be willing to turn the light of my own attention inward and assume that if I'm having a negative experience, I'm creating it. And I'm disrupting my awareness. I'm separating my conscious awareness from that deep, perfect peace that gave rise to me. And I'm not going to be able to connect with it by chasing the thoughts from my conscious logical mind. I'm going to need to surrender to something else. I'm going to need to do allowance and surrender and trusting and asking to be shown over and over and over again. The text goes on and says, I give you this thought and I would ask you to consider it well. What if the very life you are living and each and every experience that is coming to you now since the moment you decided, quote, I've got to awaken here, close quotes, what if everything that's happened since then is being directly sent to you of the creator? Because the creator, the creation, the flow of life knows what is necessary to unravel within your consciousness to allow you to awaken. What if the very things you are resisting are the very stepping stones to your homecoming. That's, that's vintage Guy Finley right there. The lessons we need to learn in life ride into our life on the back of events we don't want. Guy Finley takes it to the next level and says, and the importance of the lesson for you is directly proportional to how much you do not want this lesson or these events. The importance of the lesson for me increases the more I say, I don't want to be stuck in traffic here. I don't want 
my child to be sick. I don't want my mother to die of cancer. I don't want to be fired from this job. I don't want to have to work this job until I'm 75 years old because I have no money to retire on. The importance of the lesson in those life events goes up directly in proportion to how much I don't want the life event. What if, this is back to the way of mastery, it says, what if the very things you're resisting are the very stepping stones to your homecoming? What if you achieved a maturity along this pathway in which you were finally willing to just let things be just as they are? Take a breath into that and notice what part of you wants to argue and what part of you wants to say, well, then how do we ever fix things and how do we ever help people and how do we ever, et cetera. So just watch that. Watch the tension that comes up in the Western mind that's been programmed to think it needs to fix everything. The way of mastery goes on in the next paragraph and says, if it was necessary to sweep the streets, you simply took a deep breath and said, Creator, you know the way home. And then you start sweeping. And then up into your mind comes the thought, oh my God, I won't be recognized. I won't stand out. Jeez, people won't think I'm special if I'm just a street sweeper. And then you recognize, aha, there it is. No wonder the Creator wants me to do this. I've got to flush up this thoughts about being special so I can take a look at it and disidentify from it and learn to be the presence of love in the sweeping of the street. In truth, I tell you that the least among you, according to your perception, because there is no greater or lesser than in in all of creation, but in your perception where you judge the least among you, that person is already equal to the greatest. And there is none among you who is less than I am. So here it is. If we're asked to sweep the street, we have the realization. We watch the thoughts coming up saying, oh my God, I won't be recognized. I won't stand out. People won't think I'm special if I'm just a street sweeper. And then when we've been practicing watching the parade of tension and negative thoughts within our mind, then we have the realization, oh, this must be why I'm asked to do this. So that I can flush up all these negative thoughts of judgment of greater than and less than and disidentify with it. And I can learn to be the presence of love in sweeping the street. This is right out of Christian Sundberg. Why are we here? To learn to be the presence of love, to choose for love in more and more challenging situations. What could be more challenging to someone from the Western mind than somebody who's had a nice job and had a nice house and had a nice car and it all gets swept away for one reason or another and then to survive they're asked to sweep the streets? That's a huge challenge. Can that person choose for love and choose away from fear even though they have to sweep the streets just to get by. 
can they teach only their loving thoughts? Can they teach only love? Can they tap into their true nature as the presence of love? Can they learn to appreciate the flow of life and the fact that there's still the breath of life in them, even if they have to sweep the streets to make enough money to keep the body alive? So the parallels are here across all of these teachings. Whatever is going on in my life today are the stepping stones to my coming home and my awakening. I can keep myself from seeing that and moving closer to my stated desired goal by resisting the flow of life by judging it as bad or wrong, by generating tension and anger and shame and guilt and frustration and hurt or righteous indignation and pouring my mind energy into those thoughts, I don't have to use the life I've been given as my pathway home. But it is possible to view it that way. It's possible to learn to disidentify from any thoughts of being special. The text goes on and says, the way of the heart begins by accepting the humility that you have created quite a mess within your consciousness. You have created a labyrinth and gotten lost in it, and you do not know the way back. It begins by accepting that of yourself you can do nothing. For all you've managed to achieve is the creation of a whole lot of insane dramas that are occurring nowhere except within the field of your mind. Those dramas are like shimmeras and like dreams. In truth, there is no difference between a waking state in which you would be in, the, in, in your sense of life, the director of your own life, and in the dreams you have when the body sleeps at night, they're both the same. I wish to direct you to peace, even that peace which forever transcends the understanding and comprehension of the world. This is exactly what Michael Singer is trying to point us towards in his podcast session three, or, you know, uh, yeah, whatever it is, Series 3, Session 3, Season 3, Episode 5. I wish to direct you to peace, even that peace which forever transcends the understanding and comprehension of the world and of your conscious logical mind. That's what Michael Singer is talking about in that podcast, that bliss state that's available to everyone, and yet it cannot be comprehended by the conscious logical mind. The text goes on and says, I desire, because the Creator desires it through me, I desire to bring you wholly and completely to where I am, that you might discover there is someone that got there ahead of you. And when you look closely, you will say, oh, wait, that's myself, that's my capital S self, it's my true nature, and I've always been there, but I forgot. In the end of all journeying, in the end of all purification, 
And it says here, and indeed, purification is still necessary. In the end of it all, you will discover that to awaken means to have journeyed nowhere. It means to have arrived at the goal that has never changed. Awakening is only a remembrance. But it is a remembrance not just of the intellect. It is not an idea as you would understand ideas. This is an idea that vibrates through the whole field of your beingness so that even the cells of your body, as long as the body lasts and remains coalesced together in its present form, even the cells of the body awaken and relax into the truth, capital T, truth, that is true always. This is exactly what Michael Rice talks about when he says, feeling the presence of love actively in every cell of your body. Breathing into an experience that goes beyond words. Each new heartbeat. This is a remembrance. Awakening is just a remembrance, but not a remembrance of the intellect. Oh, wait, I've been on this road before. Oh, wait, I've seen that movie before. It's not that kind of remembrance. It's not an idea as you would understand ideas. This is an idea that vibrates through the whole field of your beingness so that even the cells of the body, while yet the body remains coalesced together in its present form, even those cells of the body awaken and relax into the capital T truth that is true always. The text goes on. If you were a gardener, would you not cultivate the art of weeding your garden? Would you not look to see that the soil is just the correct correct dampness? Would you not keep your eye on the clouds on the horizon and the heat of the day? Would you not cover the delicate plants that need protection while they are growing strong? And if those that would come would not respect your garden, would you not ask them to leave or build a temporary fence around the garden until it is strong enough, until it bursts forth with enough fruit so that you can give it even to those who do not respect it? Be you, therefore, a wise gardener. Cultivate a deep love and respect for yourself. For you are here not to fix the world. You are not here to fix your brother or sister. It is only love that heals. Capital L, love, the energy of creation that heals. And until you've recognized that you yourself are love, wholly and completely, and you've purified the mind from every erroneous thought that you've ever held, until you have recognized yourself as love, you do not, in truth, have love for anyone or anything. Save in those brief moments when you let your guard down 
and the love, the capital L love of the Creator, shines forth through you so quickly that you don't, don't even know what happened. There have been moments. Most of us have had moments like that, or we wouldn't be on a path like this listening to a, a book like this. It wraps up that paragraph by saying, the wise gardener cultivates a state of consciousness in which the love of the creation is unimpeded. Beloved friends, those of you that have elected to answer the call to participate in this pathway with this family, if you would make your commitment to trusting your creator for having set before you a pathway that can lead you home, you will, indeed, you will arrive at home. However, commitment means you do not get to leave the room when the shouting begins. And the shouting we're speaking of is the shouting within your own mind and within your own body and within your own emotions. It means that you will stay with these things by being honest about them and loving yourself for ever having the power to even create such insane perceptions of yourself and the world around you. A little bit later on, they talk about how the energy that we use to create anger and fear and sadness and hurt and contraction and competition is the energy of creation. We're just using it in a way that creates an experience for us, an illusory experience, a temporary experience of being separate from that which we can never be separate from. So we're in the dream, we're in the hallucination, we're in the illusion of our own creation. And we're using the very energy of love, the very energy of creation itself, to dream this dream. To use our mind energy for judgment and contraction and the generation of negative emotional states by pouring our mind energy into certain thought patterns. And if you're on this path and you're doing this work, it means you've got to stick with it even when the shouting begins. You can't leave the room. You can't run home. You can't say, oh, that was all garbage anyway. Because when you do that, you just delay the curriculum. There is only one curriculum. You don't get to choose it. You just get to choose how quickly you go through it and how often you delay it. Back to the text, it says, this means that you will stay with these things by being honest about them. And you will have love for yourself forever having the power to even create such insane perceptions of yourself and the world around you. This harkens back to this introductory message I was reading yesterday where it says the promise. And the promise is you're going to be okay. Right? If you become wholly committed to awakening from this dream that you've dreamt since the stars began to appear in the heavens, if you wake up from that dream and you recognize what the Creator has created 
and you put at the altar of your heart every breath with every breath with everything you think everything you think you know you put down everything you think you need and you allow a correction to come it will come regardless of how you experience it it will come and you will be ushered from whatever kind of pain and suffering that you're generating into the depth of the ocean and the peace that passes all understanding. All of these things you think you want, all of these insane perceptions of yourself and the world around you, We have to release them. We have to let them go. We have to do the seeing the lesson is for me when life brings things, according to Guy Finley. We have to cancel any goal that we're holding when, as we pour our mind energy into that goal, it creates a negative emotional state for us, as Michael Rice would say. We have to choose again, as Diedrich Wolzak would call us to. We have to commit to the intention to get better and better at holding loving thoughts and loving responses to things in more and more challenging constraint sense, as Christian Sundberg would call us to. The text here goes on and says, The way of the heart is the final pathway that any soul can enter. There are many stages of awakening, there are many pathways that can be followed, but ultimately, quote, all roads lead to Rome, close quotes, as they say. Eventually, each soul must find its way into the way of the heart. Each soul must come back to the truth that it is time to take responsibility, to learn to cultivate the ability to look upon the deep and viscous, vicious blackness of what I have called the ego. And that ego is nothing more than the cesspool of denial. It is that which lacks light. What light? The light of awareness. Begin to bring light back to it by simply observing your own mind, observing your own behavior, observing your own reactions with a sense of wonder with a sense of innocence and with a sense of childlikeness. For is it not written that you must again become a little child to enter the kingdom? The little child simply marvels at all they see and says, Oh, how about that? Can you imagine looking upon the deepest darkest parts of your own shadow your own denials and being able to say huh how about that remember that everything is neutral and all that arises within your consciousness has no effect upon the truth of your reality Michael Rice would say here your actuality What's the actuality? In this book, it's called The Truth That Is True Always. What is that? You remain as your creator created you to be. 
You come from love. You're made of love. You are love. Everything else is false. The last paragraph I'll read for today is, the way of the heart is a way of cultivating the decision to become identified with the capital L light that can shine away all darkness. Not by fighting with it, but by recognizing it, embracing it as your own creation, and choosing again. The way of the heart is the way that I teach. And now we begin a focused, in-depth study together that this way might become established within your holy mind. So that's the end of the reading for today. Again, gratitude to everyone who's choosing to listen in right along as we go through the way of mastery again and do it with commentary and just a quick reminder it's a Tuesday and it is the Halloween for some people so no costumes needed if you want to join us for our support group tonight all the information you would need to tune in absolutely free is available at mindshiftersacademy.org please choose the login information for Tuesday as it's separate from Thursday and or tell a friend let somebody that you think might benefit know about how to join us for free 6.30 to 9pm Central Time and we'll be back again tomorrow and we're encouraging people to listen to and give us feedback on the audio file that was uploaded to the mindshiftersacademy.org best of audio files page at the top of that page the Michael Singer podcast with commentary from last Thursday's group and I'll just remind us all that we come from love we're made of the stuff that we call love we actually are love and everything else is false welcome Jeannie Rice Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate it. I really liked listening to The Way of Mastery again. Thank you for your uh, vote, and um, you're welcome and deserving, and have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. Today is Tuesday, October 31st, 2023, and our call-in number is 563-999. Three five eight one, and press one, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. We'll give Michael a moment to dial in. Pulling up the last of the plants, getting the gardens ready. It's supposed to drop down into the twenties for the next four nights, so the last production's on, and he's. Been outside most of the morning. I had physical therapy this morning, and that's going very well. And that's from where a few weeks ago I fell down the front hill (laughs) and kind of jarred up my left side of my body. And it wasn't getting any better with a chiropractor, so decided to uh, try physical therapy. So that is is going very well. 
If you have any comments or questions during the show, we would love to hear from you. Dial in 563-999-3581 and press 1 and a little hand goes up and I know that you want to talk. And so we would love to hear from you. Several people called in yesterday and we weren't able to get to everybody. So if you were one of those people, press 1 and we will attempt to get to you first so that you have an opportunity to um, ask your question. And so if you go to our website, whyagain.org, and I, oh, I have put in the notes for today, the link to go to the support group tonight from MindShifters Academy. And so you can uh, find that link there or you can go to mindshiftersacademy.org and click on the Tuesday evening uh, group. And uh, I'm also pulling up some of the archive shows from that he was referring to from the MindShifter podcast. So that'll be in the notes for today as well. Might make it a little bit easier for you to uh, to find the link and tap in. And Michael's just now coming in, so we'll give him just another moment. So what has um, resonated for you? We've talked about several things the last few days, and uh, we'd like to hear from you. Has it, it resonated anything for you? Michael and I started watching a new series. Well, it's not a new series. We had actually seen the first seasons or so of The Choice. I think that's what it's called. And uh, so we were watching that again last night, part where the disciples are choosing to follow Yeshua in his work and in his ministry. And it's really very well done. You can see the question marks in their faces and you know, when they're thinking, oh, what have I signed up for here? And can I do this? And so if you've never watched that, it's uh, very well done. I'm, I'm trying to find the link, and I'll put that in the in the notes for today, too. The choice. So, press one. Let us hear which direction you would like for the show to go. Any questions? You know, we went over uh, four days to go over an article that was sent to Michael on whether we had free choice or not. We discussed that. And we had quite a few good questions come out of it. And so if that had triggered something for you and you didn't get around to asking your questions or placing your comment. That's one of the things we've been talking about. Yesterday you talked about building, or no, that was Friday, building brain cells and and yesterday was he talked a lot about the power person and addiction uh, in order to adapt and survive. And that if effort is put into facing the trauma-based energies, then the addiction itself drops away. Now, like, you know, we've talked before that, you know, if you're doing worksheets on anger, if you can stop and take a breath and look under the anger at, you know, what is the fear or what is the pain, that underlies it because anger is just another um, addiction and anesthetic to 
and get specific with what's actually going on for you, and then you'll have better opportunity to do the forgiveness work. And again, the forgiveness work is not about pardoning someone or letting them or yourself off the hook for what came up, but it is about going inside and looking at what is the upset? What did this event trigger for me? And it's always when you're triggered, there's a goal that you hold. And the difference between the goal, the way you want it to be, and the way it is, that's the level of your stress. And the only way that you can alleviate that stress is to either achieve the goal or to cancel the goal. And, you know, most of the time we talk about doing the wake-up sheets on negative feelings, like if you're fearful or angry or feel guilty or shame or whatever. But you can also do the worksheets on positive things. If you think something outside of you makes you happy, quote-unquote, or brings you joy, you know, it may trigger it, but that is inside of you. And if you are dependent upon something outside of you making you happy and then something happens and, and all of a sudden that person's doing something that triggers something different than happiness, then your happiness goes away if you think that it is from outside of you as well. And so forgiveness is about removing the energies that we hold within so that we can stay connected to source regardless of what's going on. Uh, We have the little story on our website about the rose and the butterfly. And they meet, they have a wonderful time, and then one day the butterfly flies away. And because the rose thinks that there's nothing greater than the love of that butterfly, it up. And when it uproots, the rose is going to die because it makes something else more important than staying connected to its source. And when we do that, when we think, you know, that having certain goals met uh, is our happiness, then we disconnect from love when we go to chase after whatever it is outside of us. And I see Michael has joined us, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. Baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> I've been out. Tonight we're supposed to go down to the, the mid-20s, so harvesting, oh, I guess I harvest probably 25 or 30 pounds of cherry tomatoes. They're still green, beautiful, big, plump ones that hopefully will ripen in the house and uh, we'll get to share their their wonder. And in the meantime, chilly, but just cleaning all the tomato plants out of the garden and getting ready for winter tonight. Beyond that, the article that we shared, we actually shared a couple of versions of it, is now transformed into a whole different thing, but not not finished yet. So we'll uh, we'll put that on hold until it uh, it develops a little further. A lot of uh, other information, evidence coming into it, and so I'm I'm having fun and consuming many many hours, kind of putting together a, uh, well, we'll probably end up being an introduction to why is this happening to me again, or perhaps a small book on its own. I'm not sure how it's going to come out, but it, uh, it's about putting an end to suffering in the world. It's about time. It's about time. You know, probably one of the biggest pieces of evidence that we could quote to someone to prove how insane their perception is when they live in a world of everything that's going on in my life is everybody else's fault, is to just look at the fact that every person who's saying that 
has been through it 87 different times with 42 different people. You know, I'll have people and I say, well, you know, gee, here you are, you're 40. Do you remember that happening in your childhood? Oh, no, that never happened in my childhood. And then when we get into the conversation, they start describing how they were treated by news. Well, that sounds like exactly the story you told me about what happened with that other person last week. Oh, never thought of it that way. Yeah, I guess it is. Hmm. Maybe I have been there every time it's happened. My God, maybe I'm involved. Am I a creator? Am I creating this? Absolutely. But how can what I do change another's action? Well, probably one of the first references that you'll find to the world of quantum physics. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that one of the first, but one of the earliest that I've become aware of as I started working on this article and it comes out of the mouth of this gentleman named Job. And this guy has been through hell and back. I mean, it's just horrific what he's been through. And here's what he said. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. That, I would offer is Job's first opening to the possibility of healing. You know, it's well known, let's say, for instance, in the area of alcoholics. You know, the alcoholic has got everybody else to blame. They've got such a perfect story. They've got it honed to a T that it's hard to refute. But if you look in all of the circles where they see people healing from the trauma, the self-induced and the other-induced trauma of alcoholism, you'll note that the, everybody says the first step is you've got to start to own that you've got a problem. Now, the person who lives in blame, you made me mad, you made me sad, you made me afraid. You know, there's no room in the mind. I, an interesting quote from Einstein came through as I was writing this little piece of it. He says, the... the the theory you have about a thing determines what you can observe. The theory you have about a thing. There was a, a uh, philosophical, what should we call him? A man whose doctorate was in philosophy. Uh, his name's Russell Hansen. And here's what he says. You know, they talk about the power of the observer in, in philosophies. And, and he says, observations vary from observer to observer with the amount of knowledge the observer, the observer brings with them. The veteran physicist looks at some apparatus and sees an X-ray tube. The neophyte, looking at the same place, at the same thing, observes a glass and metal instrument replete with wires, reflectors, screws, lamps, and push buttons. One man's observation is a fact about the thing, and the other is some information about the thing. Sadly, because in our, our current Western world, those who specialize in treatment of disease don't have the experience with the brain cells for healing in many cases. 
And that's why you get a person who starts on drug A in day one, and then by day 16, he's on drug B, then he's on C, D, E, F, G, H. We had one gentleman in intensive back several years ago who, when I brought this topic up, went back into his room. We were in a small residential facility. Went back into his room and brought out literally a Walmart-type, you know, regular grocery bag, literally filled to the top with drugs. And that's what he's taking every day in order to survive. So if, if one looks at a set of symptoms with the eyes of treatment, they're kind of like the person who looks at this, you know, it's a glass metal instrument with wires, reflectors, screws, lamps, and push buttons. Someone else can look at a set of symptoms and go, oh, behind that is this kind of a problem. Here's where things need to be actually dealt with. And so when we hear Job saying, for the thing I greatly feared has come upon us, and what dreaded has happened to me, most people look at that and it's kind of like the guy who looks at the apparatus and has no idea it's an x-ray machine. When you unpack, when you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, what we see there is Job has this humbling insight that when his mind is being controlled by fear and dread, He's working against his own best interests. And in admitting he has a dysfunctional mind, Job is opening a space for profound healing. He stepped into that powerful, life-changing admission that he is, in those moments, mentally incompetent. In effect, what Job is owning is the fact that he has a particularly pernicious form of mental illness. Now, We've all said, or I, I maybe shouldn't say that for everybody, but most everybody that I know when I say, yeah, things are really crazy, they're like, yeah, they're really crazy. And, and, and somebody from that crazy would say to me, well, Michael, if hostility and fear are a sign of mental illness, that means everybody's mentally ill. That's right. Virtually everybody in the culture who, no, pardon me, not virtually, literally everybody in the culture that's functioning out of hostility or fear in the moments when they're doing that are mentally ill. It is the most common set of symptoms, and that set of symptoms works down into physiology and creates literally every so-called physical disease that mankind experiences. That's my offering. That's the x-ray machine. That's what, when you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, which was being addressed. Look at this. 2,000 years ago, this man Yeshua says, eyes to see and ears to hear. He's saying, you've got to have the brain cells. Here's this philosopher, 2,000 years later, Hansen, and he's saying, the experience you've got is going to determine what you observe. Einstein, the theory you have determines what you can see. If you can recognize that when you're functioning out of hostility or fear, and, I, and I'm saying this for myself personally, you know, I came across, you maybe were on the radio show, and it's, I don't know, probably it's a year or more ago, and I acknowledged that one of the things that I was saying to myself regularly when my hostility or fear came up was, this is my mental illness. When you can own that, you can start to change it. But if you can't own it, you can't change it. Because the belief, the, the blame game, 
puts cause outside of you. Again, we're back to the, the whole definition of denial in this work. So the huge first step in healing is the admission that there's a disorder going on here. And when we really unpack Job's insight, if you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, and unpack everything he's saying, he's starting to understand his part in causing these terrible events and repeated generational patterns in his life. I mean, Job plainly and emphatically tells us that the feared and dreaded outcomes in our lives begin in our own minds, and when we live in a mind fueled by fear and dread, we are limited to a life of conflict, pain, suffering, and seeming hopelessness. When thought complexes that result in fear and or hostility or dread go unchecked, we're in trouble. And when you realize that that's the problem, then you realize that you're sitting atop an awesome power that has the ability to produce results in the world. Wow, what an amazing discovery. Duh. Let's go back 2,000 years ago. Here's this man, Yeshua, and he even comes through in the Greek. And he says it. Ask and you receive. Duh. Many are so steeped in their religions, in their belief systems, based in hostility or fear, that they can't even hear what their own scriptures are telling them. And most people just read right past Job's nugget, as though it wasn't even there. And many people point to religions and blame them. Well, let's say you've got a perfectly sound, fact-based, scientific religion, and you hand it to someone with unresolved hate, or intimidation, or abuse. Let them play with it for 20 years, and guess what you're going to have? You're going to have a religion that's based in hate, and abuse, and fear, and trauma. It's not about the religion. It's about the people playing in it. So notice we've got examples of hate in all factions of, of religion, or in different factions of every religion. There are the hate-based Christians, there are the hate-based Jews, there are the hate-based Muslims, there are the hate-based, you know, every every one of them. I mean, even even the Buddhists who are all about, you know, compassion, have those who turn to being warriors. And so the objective of this work is to get back to a mind, and Janie shared that uh, you know, story about the rose and the butterfly, to get back to a mind that's based in its original fueling system. Now that, if you look at, you know, just take the example, take any political squabble that's going on right now. Let's, let's just look, without getting political, let's just, just look recently what happened the last month or so in Congress. How many different realities do you suppose, as all that family squabble went on, how many different realities do you suppose were in need of healing? Well, my offering is, you know, there are 525 members of Congress. That would mean that at least 525 of those 
having at least one aberrant reality at a minimum is what each person involved in that squabble had to work out. How many of them did you hear, if you were listening to interviews, and again, I'm not being political, I don't care whether it's Republican, Independent, you know, um, Democrat, whatever it is. How many of them did you hear come out of one of those contentious, raging, I mean, it sounds like it almost came to fisticuffs several times. How many of you here come out and say, you know, I was sitting there and this debate was going on and I realized that I had so much rage in me that I had no idea that I had that much rage in me and what I need to heal. Anybody here, anybody come out of that squabble with their hand up saying, I have something to heal here? I haven't heard anybody. And these are the people that are running our country. You'd think that in order to move to that level of a society that's got 200 and you know, almost going on 250 years under its belt, would have a system set up that you couldn't get into that body, that governing body, without at least proving that you're mentally competent that you're not mentally ill. My offering is every moment at which any person is functioning out of any hostility or fear, they're mentally incompetent. And they do crazy things. You and I and everybody else. So what's the solution? Do your work. Step up to the plate, acquire some tools, and change the game inside of you. You know, Job's simple statement is really clear. He's informing us that when we live in fear or dread and apply it to a fantasized outcome in the mind, we're literally setting the blueprint for the events that will be delivered by life to us. Who's going to stand up and say, I did that yesterday. I've got work to do. Ah, I've been doing that all my life. I've been raging at people. There's an interesting film out there. I think we talked about it a few weeks ago when we rewatched it. It's called If I Could Only Imagine. It's very powerful. It's a, it's a true story. It's a, a song that uh, was written by this young man who was horribly abused as a kid and gets away and escapes his home. And after coming back and seeing his abuser has changed, and, and it's interesting because he's got all this time, he's writing, he's writing his music, he's performing in churches, he's doing the whole churchianity thing. But watch the film, and watch, I mean, they're just portraying a true story. He comes back and he hasn't healed one damn thing in his life or his mind. But his father has. His abuser has. And he's just as abusive. He's playing the power person dynamic out with his father, even as his father, ineptly, 
but from at least a, a, a partially healed space is coming forward trying to make some sort of amends. And the kid goes nuts and does exactly what his power person did to him. And his healing doesn't happen until the active presence of love of his father is there supporting him. And you watch the healing happen that didn't happen in all the years of his being out there in churchianity. There's a work to be done. It's a magnificent work. It's beyond comprehension, the potential of it. When we can get somebody's attention, someone who's living in that hostility or fear game, and, and fear can look like, you know, a pattern. You know, there's a book about it. It's called Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And how once a pattern is established in childhood, and it doesn't matter what the pattern is, Whatever, and, and, and again, tie this in with Job's insight, that which I feared most, that's which I dreaded. And you look at what happened to the, four, the child at four and the child at nine and the child at 13 and the young man or the young woman at 22 and the young man or the young woman at 30 and the middle-aged man or woman at 40. And the, you know, and, and the, in the end result, and when you realize the power you have, this is the power you have. Notice, if, you, if you've seen one of those, why is this happening to me again in your life? Notice how much power you have when applied to a fantasized negative outcome that was perhaps acquired in the first three or four years of your life or perhaps is genetic and was simply reinforced there. Notice how powerful you've been at recreating that over and over, getting literally in some cases thousands of people to come together to help to create your why is this happening to me again. That's a lot of power. What do you suppose happens when you do the work of cleaning up your mind and you apply that power to creating healing in the world? Energetically, what do you suppose happens? If you've got the energy to reach out, I mean, I've, I've worked with people and they, they say, you know, I, I can see how this whole, you know, uh, industry failed and it was just because I know that I'm a failure and it always fails and always falls apart on me. You caused the whole industry to fail? You had the power to do that? Wow, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. What do you suppose happens if you can forgive that energy in you? Forgiving meaning remove the pattern energy that you hold, probably from many generations. What do you suppose happens when you change that one? And then you incarnate the presence of love. You know, Jeannie was doing a... Uh, still point session back, oh, it's probably, I'm not even sure, but Jeannie had looked up the, the radio show where we talked about it's about a year or so ago, and in that still point session, she'd been told that there were going to be five measures of healing. It's a conversation that's come up recently because Jeannie realized it was a chapter that she read out of, left out of her book and that she needed to, to put in the book. And in fact, we were talking with one of our musician friends, Julie Matthews, and she had 
given Jeannie some input on that radio show back then, and we were talking to her yesterday, that what she was told, in essence, and Jeannie, please correct me if my language is a little off. Uh, I, I, I'm not, I haven't refreshed this in my mind recently, but it basically was told that she would be incarnating in her body-mind unit as a human being, as love, in five measures. Spidey, would you like to pick that up and share a little bit more of what you're working on with that? just seems very appropriate here because to get the idea that it's a process to, to really incarnate fully. Right. And hold on, I'm, I'm looking for the list here. Well, when I first got the message, you'll expand in five measures, it was like, okay, what does that mean? And, of course, Julie explained that a measure in music um, is like the bars that hold, tells a composer how many beats and what tempo and all that. Um, and that five measures is, is very unusual and that the fifth is usually like a, a rest or a pause or a flow to take one set into the next. And so that made sense that that would be part of it. The number five is if you look at different things, it's the number of humanity. It's a symbol of balance. It's a symbol of courage and life lessons. It is also the symbol of God's grace. And the list of, of I was later, that was all I was given that first time. And then later, um, I was told what those five measures were. And I'm trying to find that list. I'm not at the computer where I'm typing the book. Okay. Um, first one was awareness. Uh, consciousness and realization, remembering the loss of being and returning to love. Um, felt snatched from love. Um, deep sorrow and terror, be aware of my breathing, and the name of God, which is the breath. The second measure is trust. And so each of these are, are things that I needed to work through or still need to work through to get to the total expansion. Second one was trust, to trust God, to trust Michael, to trust myself, to trust my parents. Um the third one was will instead of willpower and how much time I had spent in my life trying to control and force things to happen through willpower. And that the five smooth stones that was used to destroy Goliath, and Goliath is the monster in your life. Um, but the five smooth stones is choice, will, intuition, imagination, and enlightened perception. And so those are faculties that need to be strengthened. Uh, the fourth one was safe, to remember mentally, emotionally, and to remember in my body and to move from survival to living and thriving and dreaming. Um, this one was a, is a big one and will take facing every atrocity that I went through and every false belief I took on about myself, including those that I have forgotten or pretended didn't happen. 
uh, danger and threat happened repeatedly and turn two was to go into freeze mode. It would turn on and to realize it's safe to let go of coping strategies and to feel what's real and that it's safe to sleep again. That has something to do with uh, not sleeping well at night. And then uh, the fifth one is incarnation to re-enter my body. And so I don't have a lot of notes on that fifth one yet. I haven't arrived there yet. But anyway, that's um, that was very powerful. Um, and it's what's required to be able to expand. And you said something, I think it was, one of the last couple of days about the kingdom of heaven that it's also the community of expansion or the kingdom of expansion yeah it can be it can be the the idea of heaven being expansion is within uh it's a proper translation in aramaic for that statement from yeshua the kingdom of heaven is within us within and around us yes and it's interesting we're at a time in geological terms, in astronomy, where they've got this new telescope that's just expanding our view of the universe like, to, to coin a phrase, to use a phrase, light years, like just so far beyond what we had even conceived. And I think that is, a, to me, that's a symbol. The opening of that is a symbol of the opening that's happening on the planet for human beings. And I believe that we are designed to be able to comprehend what that opening is, to comprehend what all of that is and means together as we incarnate as human beings and start to function not out of our our insecure, angry, sad, afraid, hurt, little non-being minds, non-being self, but really truly to incarnate as we were originally created and to live as these magnificent creatures called human. And we're here to support every mind, heart, and being on the planet, claiming their place in that really recognizing who you are and that old song what's it all about Elfie <laughs> really being able to understand what it's all about so that's why we're here and that's what the tools are about and Jeannie maybe or I'm sure you probably already have put some of that stuff in your notes so people have access to it You know, the, uh, the philosopher I was speaking about had spoken about the person who used the example of the person, you know, the level of knowledge you have determines what you can observe, or the theory, as Einstein says, what you can observe. <clears throat> and that's a good example that, you know, somebody who doesn't know anything looks at this apparatus and goes, oh, well, some wires and some lights and some switches, oh, okay, there's a plug on it. And then someone else goes, oh, it's an X-ray machine. With the eyes to see and the ears to hear, they understand what they're looking at. We've all been looking at life forever. But if we are stunted by the hostility and fear-based brainwash of captains and kings, if you've been stunted by that, then we can only observe to the limit of our own minds. 
you know, Paul talked about the, you know, be transformed by the healing of your mind. And to remove the thorns of blame and pain from our minds is the objective of this work. And when you remove the thorns of blame and pain from your mind, you remove the disease-producing energies in your body. When you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear that, you go, oh, okay, that's what healing's about. Oh, that other stuff is just a way of suppressing symptoms that I don't like, and it's called treatment. And, you know, I, you know go for the treatment. You know, it saves lives. <laughs> But it's not healing. In many cases, it's the very thing that mitigates against healing. I personally think that any practitioner of medicine who does not lay healing alongside of treatment is locked into malpractice. And it's time for us to expand, to become holy, not H-O-L-Y, W-H-O-L-Y. Understand and be able to work on every level from, you know, what you allow your eyes to look at, from what you allow your uh, digestive system to ingest, to what you allow your skin to touch, what you bring into your lungs, to what you bring into your mind and what comes out of your mouth. You don't become holy until you understand and integrate all of those things fully, totally, and completely. So, that's what it's all about, Elfie. And, uh, Miss Jeannie, have we got anybody out there in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? If uh, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, uh, in our control panel, our calling number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you're listening to the show directly. And then if you push 1, Raise a hand in the control panel, and Jeannie will introduce you by your phone number, and we will be having a conversation. So how can we support you? What's on your mind? Which one? Let's talk about it. We have a bunch of people on the switchboard, but no hands up. Like I said earlier, some people waited until kind of the last minute, and we were already talking to someone else, and you didn't get a chance to get your question in. So nobody has their hand up right now. Press 1. You're first in line and we can address your question or your comment. We have a hand up. It's area code 314. I believe this is Doug. Yep, it is. You're hey, um, welcome, good sir. How are you? Thank you. Uh, great show. <laughs> Both hours, really. Um, <clears throat> I'm calling because I'm sure something good will come out of it. <laughs> you know, I, I just... Okay. Uh, it always does, and I, I'm... How am I? Well, yesterday was a very, very difficult day for me because there was a reality in my head that was greatly distressing me that was deeper a deeper thought or or belief that that I may not be able to ever restore the relationship that I've been so attached to and and some part of me has been believing that you know somehow sometime that will be fixed 
and <laughs> I found found that I was just really uh, triggered by that, and um, so so when Jeannie was talking about the rose and butterfly, um, you know, it's like that's applicable to this. I I, I feel like I I I feel like in my physiology that what was going on for me yesterday, among other things, was just the recognition of how my whole being, my emotion, my mind, my body, believes, loves, wants, feels that being in loving relationship is the most valuable, most powerful, beautiful, inspiring, productive, supportive, and joyful, productive way to live and Therefore, I most desire it above all else. But what I see is that, and and this is one of the things Dr. Tim was saying too, is that which we most resist is that which holds our greatest lesson. And so, so keying off of that, it's like I feel like I most resist not having that, and the thought of not having that. It, it's and, and so so so. Re- so much so that I don't want another relationship because my love for that person is so great. My commitment to that one person is so great. Even though I know I could create one and have value, it, part of that whole thing is that then I think, oh, well, that is an opportunity cost then for your life, you know, that you are in that place. And and I feel like... Um, it just goes on. I, I don't. I don't. I, I don't know if I should keep talking or not because it's. Kev, <laughs> have Pardon? you done? Have you done any worksheets where you can get the goal yeah. for that relationship to be reconnected? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And what? It, and where does that lead you when you do that worksheet? Well, it leads me to. Um, it leads me to all the reasons why back to, you know, a safe haven, um, insecurity, uh, guilt for failure in my marriage, other relationships, um, uh, loss of more with my girls in their life, you know, all failed relationships. And back to childhood need for security like like when mom was gone or missing when I came home my life was in jeopardy kind of thought dad died and was gone safety was gone um, I'm just reading for some of the notes from the worksheet one of the worksheets here and, and right. so so I see all this insecurity is tied to needing relationship and therefore I'm committed to not having one Basically, to getting the lesson that's needed here, which is how to to recognize my own self as divine love, trust, you know, safety, um, not to do the geographic cure. In other words, I've done that in the past. Okay, this relationship ends. Oh, I'll go find another one. You know, but but by doing that, I avoid the real healing or the real lesson of empowerment that's needed, and I I don't want to do that again, but. But I'm, I'm. So that's the answer to that question. You know, it's like I, I, I feel it leads me to uh, that. 
Well, I also surfaced that I think my father died. Why? Because he could not accomplish the family of love and relationship he desired. He did not feel the flow of love he felt. He felt the burden instead, the guilt, failure, and he wanted he wanted me to succeed. You know, he always said that his mission, and this really resonates with my heart, is was to, and that the, the mission of every parent should be to create that their children can build on to do better than they did and to have a better life than they had and um, to transcend his accomplishments by standing on his shoulders and, you know, coming out of the life he came out of, achieving what he achieved, and then achieve more. And one of the last, another thing that came up for me is one of the last commissions that he gave me when he was very ill which resonates guilt, you know, to some degree. It was take care of your treasures. That's what he, he could see that our relationship was, you know, my relationship with my wife at the time was in jeopardy. And, and he said, take care of your treasures. And that's, Breathe. Let's just be with that and breathe into it. And I think maybe that's part of, you know, I feel like I failed this relationship. I failed again. You know, it's like I didn't give her what she felt she needed enough. Um, and, uh, well, anyway. Yes, breathing. So, yeah, there's a lot of grief about that, about failing that charge, or interpreting that I failed that charge, you know, that, that he gave me. And it sounds like you still haven't resolved your failure within your former marriage. Inside right. Of your own mind. Yes, that's one and the same with this. Um, yes, you know, and I can justify the situation. I've done that a thousand ways, the way that I entered the marriage, the circumstances surrounding that, the, you know, on and on and on. But the bottom line is that even though I was making a conscious effort to keep what I thought was appropriate commandment and instruction, I wasn't able to do it because I felt like I hadn't willingly chosen to enter that marriage and and among other things. And, 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 and at the bottom line is that even though I, and I did try, I mean, she decided to make the divorce. I went back a year later and we tried it again and she said no. And that's how I justified the failure. But the bottom line is my failure to accept, embrace, love, and be happy with her during the marriage is what led to that. So... Um, yeah, and, and it sounds like, if you just breathe into that, that it simply replicated what your father did. And he died over it, according to what, you, what, I, what I understood you to just say. Yeah, but well, I feel he, like... He attempted now. the same project, failed, and as a result died. Essentially, I think so. I, I, that was the 
for the first time ever, my thought. You know, I always felt like he worked himself to death or he gave it for his family, but but to see it in this way, that his grief or his failure to achieve what he wanted caused his body to degrade, you know, caused him to get the illness uh, you know, I, 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 I didn't ever think that thought until yesterday. But it seems reasonable to me because I know that he wanted something much greater for his family and for his marriage, you know, than he was able to achieve. And uh, so... Anyway, that's speculation on a lot of our So here would be my input. Okay. And let's put it in the context of the story that you've heard me tell many times and Jeannie read earlier in the show about the rose and the butterfly. Yep. I suspect it probably never occurred to your father and perhaps it's not occurred to you that you cannot have the rose until you are the butterfly or vice versa. My offering would be what I I hear you saying is your father. Okay. So let me unpack it. So what I hear you saying is that your father pursued something external and failed at it because he thought his success would be in something external. And what I hear you saying is that you only consider yourself a success, at least in relationship at this point, when you can recapture or reestablish this relationship that you're committed to. That's very, very true. Very, very true. So my offering would be that you're putting the cart before the horse. You know, the great man 2,000 years ago that said, seek ye first. What did he say to seek first? The relationship out there? The something for the family? Uh, what's it that he said he suggested you seek first? Kingdom of heaven. Seek to incarnate as a human being. Bring your being to earth. My offering is the first order of business. And if we haven't done that, then any other goal that we set is going to ultimately fail. Because everything else that you could possibly, well, as he said, you, you do that and everything else is made unto you. You'll be made whole. So when we become distracted by something out there, it's it's sort of right in line with the whole idea of denial, dissociation, projection and now we're trying to get somebody or something out there to to help us to achieve the goal that we hold and it's not a worthy goal until you've achieved living as a human being living as the created essence of love that you are Like, you know, if if in all of your getting, whether it's relationship or money or success or power or fame or whatever it is, if in all you're getting you don't get being, then you aren't. 
So the order of business I would offer would be that you truly cancel all of those goals for something external. And heal that mind that is separated self from itself. Because you're putting, my offering would be that you're putting all of your energy into a result that you don't yet have the cause for. And the cause of everything that you want is to recognize and incarnate as who you are as a created human being. And the outer world distracts us in all sorts of ways. And you you found yourself a really noble distraction, would be my offering. And my suggestion would be that you truly cancel your need, truly do the forgiveness process around that, and go back to what the your primary purpose is. And that if you have a goal that when you load it in your mind reflects to you as pain because it has not been achieved, that's your next piece of work. Does that make sense? Yes. Would you define cause? You said you, 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 said you have you are, you are putting energy into a goal that you don't have to cause for. You're attempting is, to I achieve suppose. a result. Yeah. What I what I what I'm offering is that you're attempting to to um, experience a result that you don't have the cause for. And the cause, and cause. the yeah. cause will be living as the created essence of Doug as a human being. And what I hear you doing is trying to produce the result, trying doing everything you can to produce the result without having the cause. And and my offering is it's a genetic pattern, uh, at least if what you say about your father is accurate, because he tried to have the same result with an external something about his family, and your take was that literally holding to that as opposed to fulfilling his primary purpose, killed him. I think so. Breathing I think with that's you. correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's an old family pattern, and it'll probably be your 77 times 70 worksheet issue. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
So the thought, the next thought comes, the next hit that I get is, you know, you. I think you, I'm sure, with all the work you've done with us over the years, they've been around when we've done the uh, letting go of the attachments exercise. Yes. So my invitation would be to to do that exercise, and if you'd like, you know, we can guide you through it, and everybody who's listening, if they've got a, a situation in their lives, could do the same exercise. Uh, that, you know, it's a simple one, but it's very profoundly powerful that you do that around your relationship with your former wife. Well, I'm and then you can let loose of the, what sounds to me like the guilt and failure of that, you're going to remove the interference patterns for a lot of things that you've been working on creating. I, I, I feel that truth because I can feel energy energy moving in my body when you say it. Now, now, what what I thought you were going to say was that letting go of attachments exercise for my relationship with Diane, which which felt immediate resistance come up. It, it, I feel much less of that relative to my wife. Uh, you know, I mean, it's my former wife because. That's so long ago, I, I nonetheless feel that what you said must be true because I feel it. And it's the, um, the guilt so part. So there's a starting point. Very much. The guilt Go part, ahead. You know, yeah. The guilt part is so, very much alive. Right. So, and, and that would become a block to creating. You know, that's, if, if you carry that in your relationship file, then any relationship you attract is going to have to have a match to that energy, or there won't be an attraction. And as long as you hold that within you, guilt around what you didn't achieve in that relationship, then right. through resonance, a relationship that you're going to attract is going to have to have a matching bag of garbage to that which will be the circumstance or the situation that will bring that up in order for you to heal it. That's the gift of healing through relationships. Which is why I would feel guilty then about not having this one succeed, right? Is that what you're saying? Yes. It would just, yeah, it would just tend to carry on, yeah. So what if Doug were a... In, in relationship to guilt, what if Doug were a totally and completely guilt-free being, having healed all forms of guilt ever held within his field and within his family system? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we would be more bold and more willing to, to do and offer um, things, among other things, that's the first impulse that comes to mind. Uh, and, of course, more vital and free. Yeah. Okay. 
so holding the space for that result. And with our timing, we're down to less than a minute now. So there is not the space to do that exercise. However, if you're available tomorrow, we could open the show with it. Oh, actually, okay. pardon me. Actually, we'd have to wait until Thursday. Um, I'm, I'm not going to. We're going to do a recorded show tomorrow, so I won't be available. But if you'd like, we can open the show on Thursday and step into that uh, that exercise for yourself and um, for everybody. And we're not we're not doing a recorded show tomorrow. I don't think. Well, actually, we haven't had a chance. To, right, but we haven't had a chance to speak. There's another situation that's come up, sweetie. Okay. So. <laughs> Awesome. Timing, Thank timing. you. All right. Well, we'll plan on Thursday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time, noon Central Time, and we'll step in. And for everybody who's ready to do it, let's be, you know, think about a situation where you find yourself with some emotional attachments. And we're going to do a very powerful, though simple exercise for releasing those attachments. And it's an exercise that I've just seen make deep, profound changes in people's lives. It only takes two or three minutes. but So... Appreciate it, Doug, holding the space for you, my friend.